Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Hey, if you're new here, uh, welcome. Uh, my name's Rob, I'm lead pastor here at Crosspoint, and uh, we're so glad that you're here with us today. Hey, let me just say, I'm going to be at lunch. I'd love to have you for lunch if you're new here and come and join us in the, in the gym. In fact, I promise we won't bite, um, but the food is always awesome. So uh, please join us for lunch uh, after the gathering today for Converge. Uh, if you're just joining us, we are in week number two of a series we've been doing called No Fool. And we've been discovering how we can chase down wisdom and how we can leave folly far behind. And uh, last week was kind of the introduction to our series, and so we took up the challenge to get wisdom. And, and part of that challenge was actually to start reading the book of Proverbs. Uh, how many of you know that the, the book of Proverbs has 31 chapters in it? And typically there are 30 to 31 days in a month, any given month. And all you have to do to find out where you're supposed to be reading in Proverbs is just figure out what the date is on the calendar and just read along. And uh, it's been kind of cool to see on Realm, our intra net for Crosspoint, our own little uh, social media site. A number of you have been taking up the challenge, and I'm sure a lot more of you have also. And if you haven't already, guess what? Today is September the... So that means you can start reading at chapter... It's really that easy. And uh, if you do that, you will join with us in this challenge of getting wisdom. Now, for the rest of the series, we are going to be looking at the fools of Proverbs. You know, what's interesting, as you, as you read through Proverbs, uh, particularly once you get past chapter 9, it's, it's a whole smattering of different sayings and wisdom sayings that are there. But as you go through it, you'll discover these characters that appear time and again. And so what the rest of this series is, is, is we're finding some of those characters, we're pulling them together, and we're putting together a composite sketch of each and every one of them. And each week, for the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at these composite sketches of each of these different characters. So uh, this week, we are going to be looking at the slacker, but in the weeks ahead, we're going to look at the scoffer, we're going to look at the simple, and we're going to look at the stomach. And uh, looking forward to that one. So what we want to do is we want to learn wisdom from their folly. Uh, how many of you have ever learned what not to do by looking at other people's mistakes? I wonder if there are any younger siblings in the room today. And you've watched your older siblings. And you've watched how your parents have responded to the folly of your older siblings. And you learned a lot from that, didn't you? Uh, I wonder if there are any of you here today who uh, maybe worked for a bad boss. Right? Maybe a bully boss or a lousy boss or, or you know, a disconnected boss or whatever. And as serving under that boss, you thought to yourself, man, one day, if I'm ever the boss, if I'm ever in charge, I am not going to do what that guy did. Right? So we can learn wisdom from other people's mistakes. Because here's the thing. Experience is a great teacher. And a wise person will learn from their, wise, from their own mistakes. But an even wiser person will learn from other people's mistakes. And so today we're going to look at the slacker, or as Proverbs often refers to this person as the sluggard. I like that name. You think of a slug, right? The sluggard. And the sluggard in, in Proverbs is essentially a, a lazy person. They are a slothful person. They're, they're a person who's unproductive, who really seems to have no direction and no purpose. And so we're going to look at the portrait of the sluggard in Proverbs. So we're going to start there. 
But before I get into there, uh, I, I tried to think about, okay, who, what kind of a person would best describe the slacker? I mean, if there was a person in public media that, uh, you know, maybe a household name that we're all familiar with, who, who would be a person who epitomizes the slacker? And the best person I could come up with is George Costanza. Now, I, I realize by saying George Costanza, I may have just marginalized some of you because you did not grow up watching Seinfeld or you haven't watched a lot of Seinfeld. Okay, but the thing about George Costanza, I mean, Seinfeld ended in 1988, I realize that, but it's still in syndication. You can still get it on cable. In fact, you can now watch it on Crave, which is awesome. My kids didn't watch Seinfeld. I use Seinfeld references all the time, completely lost on them, okay? They watch Friends. Why? Because Friends came out on Netflix. Seinfeld is out on Crave. You can watch it. Anyway, back to George Costanza. Let me say this about George Costanza. He is notorious, notorious for aiming low. He has no aspirations. He never tries. Uh, he's, he's notorious for finding jobs that require as little effort as possible. Let's look at some famous quotes from George Costanza. Here's one. I come from a long line of quitters. My father was a quitter. My grandfather was a quitter. I was raised to fail. Okay. That's kind of his motto. Here's another one. I finally found a way to sleep in my office under the desk. I lie on my back. I tuck in the chair. I'm invisible. Now, the thing about it is, if you watch that episode and you're familiar with it, he actually gets this amazing job in a great corporation, and he installs a bed in his desk, okay? It's a pretty funny episode. Now, the thing about George Costanza is that he is both comic and tragic. I mean, we, we love to laugh at George Costanza and make fun of him, but we're also deeply sorry for him. And what's interesting is you read the sluggard, in the book of Proverbs, and you read about him, the same is true. He is both comic and tragic. And if you ever thought that God doesn't have a sense of humor, you need to read about the sluggard in the book of Proverbs, because there are some humorous illustrations, which we'll discover as we read through it. And I think we'll also discover, as we go through the story of the sluggard, is that there's a little bit of George Costanza in each and every one of us. So, today, I want to begin by drawing a portrait of the slacker, then I'm going to talk about the problem of the slacker. And finally, at the end, I'm hoping we can discuss how we might part ways from the slacker. So let's start with the portrait of the slacker. Let me give you four descriptions of the slacker. Here's the first one. He can't get started. He can't get started. So Proverbs 26, verse 14, here's what it says. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. And I love the imagery that's used here. I mean, the, the sluggard is literally hinged to his bed, like a hinge that's kind of screwed into a wall and screwed into a door. It cannot move. It's kind of stuck there. But he also turns on his bed. In other words, he goes back and forth on his bed. And it raises the question, why does he do that? Well, maybe... Maybe it's because he's indecisive. He's, he's gripped by something that's known as paralysis by analysis. He's got so many options, and he just can't make a choice. He can't make a decision. You know, where do I go to school? What job should I apply for? Where do I start when it comes to cleaning the kitchen, right? And so he's overwhelmed. He's so overwhelmed by all of these options that he's paralyzed. He's literally hinged to his bed. It's far easier for him to just sit on the couch pick up a bag of Doritos, and start binge-watching Friends on television, okay? So he can't get started. Here's the second thing. He, it says he can't finish. He can't finish. The sluggard is notorious for not completing projects. Let's look at Proverbs 12, verse 27. It says, whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. So think about this. 
the slothful is a blue, uh, a, a blue rare kind of a guy. And it's not because he's a foodie. It's just because he is so, so lazy that he won't even cook his meat. It's just like, oh, give me that raw tenderloin. Okay, that's an image of him. Here's the second one. Here's another image. Proverbs 26, verse 15. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. I mean, how bad is that? I mean, you just imagine this guy's like laid back on his couch on his backside. And there's a bowl of popcorn over there, right? And he's just, he's just reaching over to the popcorn, right? And grips it in his big meaty hands. And he's got all these delicious high carb, high fat kernels there. And he's like, I just, it's just too much effort. You know, I can't get it back to my mouth. I'm so tired. So this is the, Im this is the comic Im imagery that's being used, but it's also tragic. So the sluggard starts with good intentions, but he doesn't seem to have the endurance to finish. Here's another illustration, uh, no, another description. Number, number three, he can't face things. He can't face things. Uh, I love Proverbs 22, verse 13. It says, the, lug, the sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. And so uh, Proverbs, of course, is being comical here. It's using what's called hyperbole. It's, it's exaggerating something in order to make a point here. Okay, so there's not really a lion outside. There is no lion, okay? But what it's saying is that the sluggard will make up any excuse to get out of work. Now, maybe you know somebody who's like this. They show up to work late. They leave early, right? They take frequent mental health days in order to go shopping, right? They, they try to look busy when there's real work that needs to get done. Or, or my favorite is when it's time to do the dishes, they go to the bathroom and sit in there for a while browsing social media. Guilty as charged, okay? The sluggard is someone who will find any excuse to get out of hard work. So let's look at another proverb. Proverbs 20, verse 4. It says, The sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. The reason why somebody would plow in the autumn, okay, is they would like to take the fallen vegetable matter, right, and churn it into the soil. And by doing that, what, what you're doing is you're helping to fertilize the soil. It, it kind of gets in there for springtime. But it also helps to eliminate soil erosion, which is a particular problem in the Middle East. So they would plow in the fall rather than in the springtime. It seemed like it was a better time for them to plow. But why does the sluggard not want to plow in autumn? It's because it's cold outside. And not only that, but because it's cold outside, the ground's a lot harder. It's a lot harder to work. So what he's saying is, is, is this, the, the, the sluggard is really a soft person. It's a person who's trying to avoid hard work. It's a person who doesn't want to do difficult and hard things. It's, why go plow in the autumn? I mean, I could be at home, right? I could be curled up in my slanket, right? Instead of being out there uh, doing the difficult work in the cold. Here's the fourth description. Is a sluggard can't activate dreams. He can't activate dreams. Proverbs 13.4 says, The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. So like everyone, each and every one of us has dreams. And, and, and the, the slacker is no different. The sluggard is no different. But the problem is, is that she can't seem to pull the trigger on her ideas. And she won't put in the effort it takes to see her dreams come true. And, and you might know a few dreamers yourself. People who have glorious, amazing ideas. I mean, they can draw you diagrams. They can tell you ad infinitum, the number of different ideas and things they're going to do in one day. One day, they're going to come to fruition and just you wait and just you wait and see. Uh, but the challenge is they never seem to get anywhere. Here's what Proverbs 14, 23 says. It says, in all toil, there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. 
See, the thing is, you, you can talk or you can toil, right? You, one leads to poverty, and the other ultimately leads to profit. Now, there's nothing wrong with having dreams. Dreams are amazing. Dreams are, are the stuff of life, right? We should all have dreams and aspirations and ideas. But dreams without diligence, at the end of the day, Proverbs says, will leave you empty. Dreams need to become a plan. And eventually that plan needs to get executed. And that execution needs to continue with endurance. And when it does that, ultimately it leads to a fruitful ending. So it's only through diligence, Proverbs says, that the soul is richly supplied. So you get a, you get a pretty good idea of what the slackard is like, what the sluggard is like uh, by reading through Proverbs. But let's talk about the problem of the slacker. What is so wrong with being a slacker? I mean, I've seen the big Lebowski, right? He seems like a pretty good slacker, and he seems to be getting on pretty good in life. He seems to be doing all right. So what is the big problem with being a slacker? Well, uh, Proverbs presents three problems with the slacker, and let me give you them uh, this morning. The first problem with being a slacker is it's actually isolating. It's isolating. Have you ever worked with a slacker? Have you ever worked with somebody who shows up to work late all the time, leaves early while you're still there, holding the fort? You ever work with somebody who's always checking their phones every two minutes, right? Somebody goes out for extended smoke breaks all the time. Somebody who stays and chit-chats with all the other workers when there's real, real work to be done. You ever worked with somebody like that? How would you describe them to your friends? Or when you get home from work and you have to talk to somebody else, your spouse perhaps, how do you describe that worker to them? Well, Proverbs describes them. Here's what Proverbs says. Chapter 10, verse 26. It says, like vinegar to the teeth. And smoke to the eyes. So is the sluggard to those who send them. I spent a lot of time at a campfire this summer, around the campfire, as well as, while I was on sabbatical. And l- let me tell you, th- there's a lot of smoke there. And if smoke gets into your eyes, it burns. It stings. And what do you do? Do you sit there in the smoke? No. What do you do? You pick up your chair and you find another place around the campfire where there's no smoke. You'll do whatever you do uh, to avoid smoke. Now, I've never mouthwashed with vinegar before. If you have, wow, more power to you. I've never done it. But if I ever mouthwashed with vinegar before, you know what I would do? I would spit it out. I would expel it from me. And what Proverbs seems to be saying is that slackers irritate people. Nobody wants to hire a slacker. Nobody wants to work with a slacker. So if you're a slacker, let me tell you just this morning, and this is really important, it will isolate you. People will not respect you. People will get frustrated with you. They won't want to associate with you at work. You can be funny, you can be lovely, and all that sort of a thing. But eventually, if you're a slacker, they won't want to associate with, with you because they don't want to be pulled into your slackism, okay? They don't want to be identified with you. They don't want to be identified as slackers. They'll move their chairs, and they will spit you out, okay? So what Proverbs is saying is just good wisdom, good horse sense. Don't be a slacker because you're a slacker, okay? People won't want to be around you. It's isolating. So that's one problem. Here's the second problem with slacking. Is it's costly. Let me read some verses for you. Proverbs chapter 6. It says, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. But how long will you lie there? O sluggard, when will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want, or in some translations, scarcity, like an armed man. 
So, so the writer of Proverbs, he's, he's speaking directly to the sluggard. Maybe he knows a sluggard, okay? He's speaking to him directly. He says, listen, I want you to do something. Just go and look at the ants. Okay, just spend some time observing. Learn from wisdom from the ant. Here's what the ant does. Two things. Number one is the ant anticipates the future. It knows, it sees that there is a harvest coming. What else does the, the ant do? The ant prepares for the future. It gathers up its grain. It brings it back to its nest. It works hard because it knows, it knows that the inevitable is coming. But what does the sluggard do? Well, he ignores the future. And second, he does nothing about the future. And one day, one day, reality robs him at gunpoint. He's got nothing to show for. See, the ant understood something that's known as the law of the harvest. The law of the harvest. We, we read about it in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 to 8. This Apostle Paul writing, he's writing to the church, and he's reminding them of a very basic principle that would have been very common among all Israelites. But here's what he says. He says, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. So, so the law of the harvest is very simple. It's very simply this. You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. So if you sow nothing, you get nothing. If you sow weeds, you get weeds. If you sow watermelons, you get watermelons. Okay? So here, of course, in this particular passage, the Apostle Paul is talking about our character. He's talking about our virtues and who we are on the inside. Okay? So he says, if you, if you sow by the flesh, ultimately you'll get corruption. If you sow by the Spirit, you will get life. So it works something like this. Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, you reap a habit. Sow a habit, you will reap a character. And over time, if you continue to reap that, sow that character, you will reap a destiny. That's the law of the harvest. You reap what you sow. And interestingly enough, this law also works in all other aspects of our lives. If you sow good study habits, you will reap a degree. If you sow diligent job hunting skills, you will reap employment. If you sow strong work habits, you will reap a promotion. If you sow into your marriage, you will reap lifelong companionship. If you sow into your children, you will reap secure, loving, confident adults. If you sow into discipling community, you will reap spiritual friends for life. But if you do nothing, you will get nothing. And poverty will come at you like a robber and scarcity like an armed man. Friends, there is a cost. There is a cost to being a slacker. But here's the third thing. The third problem. And this is actually the most important one. It's misaligned. The third problem with being a slacker is it's misaligned. You know, if you were here last week... Uh, I, I talk about how wisdom of Proverbs is more than just good advice. And if you had, didn't get a chance to hear this, I encourage you, go online, go back and listen to last week's message because it's really foundational for the rest of this series. But here's, let me say that again. Proverbs is more than just good advice. In fact, Proverbs never makes that claim. When you read through Proverbs, it says, hey, I got good advice for you. It never says that. Instead, it teaches us that wisdom... The wisdom of Proverbs was woven into the very fabric and foundation of the universe. 
Wisdom existed before creation. And God took wisdom. He took his wisdom. And through wisdom, he created the creation itself. And what this means then is when we walk in wisdom, when we choose wisdom over folly, when we walk in wisdom, we are aligning ourselves with God's moral order in the universe. So wisdom is, it is way more than just good advice. But when we choose folly over wisdom, then we are out of alignment with God's moral order. We're, we're in need of a divine chiropractor. We're in need of a course correction in our lives. And the slacker, interestingly, is the fool of Proverbs. Of Proverbs. So that means he is choosing folly over wisdom, which means he is living misaligned with God's purposes in the universe. And in fact, slothfulness is listed as one of the seven deadly sins in Catholicism. Now, why do you think that is? Now, that might seem strange to us, right? Especially when we live in a culture that uh, so much idealizes the person who's able to get out of work, right? In a culture that kind of talks smack about work all the time. That's our culture. So it seems strange to us that God would seem laziness as a bad thing. That relaxation or, or, or uh, slothfulness, rather, not relaxation. Slothfulness is, is, is not a good thing. Why is that? How is slothfulness misaligned with God's moral order in the universe? I think that's an important question. Now, to answer that question, we have to understand the role that work plays in God's universe. To do that, I want to give you, in a very brief amount of time this morning, a theology of work 101. Okay? We are going to rush through it like crazy. Okay? But it's very important in order to answer this question. You'll see where we get to at the end, okay? But let me give you this theology of work 101. Here we go. It's in your notes. You can follow along on screen. Number one, God worked. God worked. God created the heavens and the earth in six days. And on the seventh day, he rested. God worked and he rested. Number two, God declared all work to be good. God looked at his work and he said that it was good and it was very good. God delighted in his work and therefore God declared work to be good. Number three, we were made to work. We were made in the image of God, and we are called to be his image bearers, which means we, like our God, are workers. Number four, God commands us to work. In the beginning, God gave humanity dominion over all of the creation, okay? And it says that God blessed them, and he said to them, be fruitful and, and, and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. This is what theologians will call the cultural mandate, okay? So, so God told humanity to build, to create, to procreate, to design, to plant, to grow. All of these things are what? They are work. But there is a reason why God commanded us to work. It's because he's a loving, caring creator who wants our good. So ultimately, when we work and as we work, it will lead to what's called human flourishing. So God commands us to work and he wants us to work ultimately for our good because he loves us and, and he cares for us number five jesus worked he was the perfect man he was the exact image of the father he was a carpenter he was a tecton in the greek he even said in john five seventeen, my father is working until now and i am working number six we ultimately work for jesus anyone will just work for our human bosses 
We don't just work for our friends. We don't just work for our family. We don't just work hard for our money, okay? Colossians 3, 23 to 24 says this. It says, whatever you do, whatever you do, what does that include? Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So in, in all things, we are actually working for Jesus himself. So what that means is your work, your job, your work around the house, your work with the family, whatever work you have, whatever work you do, your work is worship. And so God wants us to put everything into our work. He wants us to work heartily. And when we do that, when we work that way, we are walking in wisdom. We are living in alignment with God's moral order in the universe. We are fulfilling the cultural mandate. And we are being image bearers so that the quality of our work reflects God to all the people around us. And so, if you are a slacker, what does that show the world about your God? And this is why work as a follower of Jesus is so incredibly important. And so we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink, or here's that word again, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Your work, your work, all of your work should bring glory to God no matter what your work you're doing. This is perhaps what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, had in mind when he said these words. I love this. He says, if it falls your lot, to be a street sweeper, sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures, sweep streets like Beethoven composed music, sweep streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry, sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. Isn't that great? And so, may your work be good. And may your work be a delight. And may it stop angels in their tracks. And may all the world look at the diligence and delight in your work. And wonder about God. Now, we need to get a little bit practical here. I'd like to consider three questions as we part this morning. As we part ways from the slacker. These are three very personal questions. And I want you to consider these today. Number one, will you align your will with God's? You, you know, God wants you to flourish. He wants you to succeed. He wants you to do well in life. And I know there are exceptions. I know there is suffering. I know there are unforeseen consequences. I know all of that. But generally speaking, in the wisdom of Proverbs, God wants you to flourish. But to flourish, you might need a course correction. You might need to change your mindset, your attitude, your values about work. Maybe you need to chase down wisdom and run away from folly, which means leaving laziness behind. Will you take up your calling of being God's image bearer in the world? Will you let your work become worship? That's the first question. Here's the second. Is there something you need to start? Maybe for you today, it is time for you to get moving. Maybe uh, you could consider what are the two most important things you need to start doing today? Now, if I ask you that question, you pro it probably won't take you very long to answer that. I mean, most of us know it's the moment I say that, what you need to do. As a matter of fact, you probably, you probably have a long list of things that you need to start doing, okay? 
But I don't want the long list. I don't want the 5, the 10, the 15, the 20. I just want you to think about two. What are the two important things that you need to do today? Because here's the thing. If everything's important, then nothing's important. Um, Just as when you go to a wedding and the bridesmaids say, this is my best friend, this is my best friend, this is my... No, 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 you can only have one best friend. But I digress. Okay. (laughs) What are the two things you need to start doing? Maybe it's apply for that job. Maybe it's just going to bed on time. Maybe it's drinking enough water during the day. Maybe it's talking to that person that God's been putting on your heart. You need to talk to this person. Maybe it's taking that class. Maybe it's just to start reading your Bible and seeking God every day. But what are the two things that you need to start doing? And then, what I want you to do is I want you to write them down, okay? But beside each one of them, I want you to write when you need to do those two things. When do you need to do those things? And and this is why it's important. You need to commit to a time. Because here's what we do when we procrastinate. When we procrastinate, we do not commit to a time. Our timeline becomes someday. Here's the thing about someday. There is no day of the week called someday. Okay? There's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But there's no someday. It's not of the day of the week. And because it's not of the day of the week, it never actually comes. So if your timeline is someday, you're really saying no day. If you keep saying someday, you'll never start. So write a timeline in it. Time in it. When, when do you need to start? What do you need to do? And when do you need to start it? But here's a third question. Is there something that you need to stop? See, the sluggard, as we read, was hinged to his bed. It was his bed that was holding him back from work. What's holding you back? What's keeping you at bay? Excessive Netflix binging, needless social media browsing, the wrong group of friends, staying up too late, a self-destructive habit that's pulling you down. Remember the law of the harvest. If you keep sowing destruction, it's going to wreck you and those around you. What is keeping you from flourishing? What do you need to stop doing and not just start doing? Write it down. More importantly, commit to it. Put a date beside it. Make a commitment to yourself and make a commitment to God that you'll do these things. Now, you might be thinking that all of this talk about work sounds a little bit like legalism. Okay? It sounds like works righteousness. You've maybe heard that term before. What do I mean by that? What's works righteousness? Well, works righteousness is that there's this idea that through my good works, I can somehow earn favor with God, okay? If I'm good enough, I will get God's favor, and he will therefore reward me. Here's the bad news. The bad news is is that you cannot work your way into God's favor any more than I can paddle up Niagara Falls in a canoe. Bible says we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We, we, we have all misaligned. We're, we need a course correction from God's moral standard, right? So the reality is because of that, we are all spiritually separated from God in our natural human state. But here's the good news. Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He lived among us. He suffered. He died. He paid the penalty for our sins through the finished work of the cross. He did the work that we could never do. And so we could not earn our salvation, but we can receive it freely through Jesus Christ. So when we come to him and we say, I cannot do this on my own. I need you to save me. And we put our complete trust in what he did on our behalf on the cross. And we surrender our lives to him completely. He offers us forgiveness. He gives us a new beginning. He allows us a fresh start and we can begin again. We go from spiritual death to spiritual life. We become members of his family and of his kingdom. 
Not because of our works, but because of our trust in the work of Jesus on our behalf. That's the good news. So, so when I talk about work today, I, I'm not talking about working for righteousness. Instead, we're talking about working from righteousness. Because we are already righteous. We're already in right standing with God through Jesus. But because we are already in right standing, because we are furiously loved by God, we can now step into the work that he has set before us. So grace is, not, is opposed to earning, but grace is not opposed to effort. Let me say that again. Grace is opposed to earning, but grace is not opposed to effort. Let me read a scripture here for you from the, from the book of Philippians chapter 2. Paul call, uh, God calls us to be hard workers. Here's what it says. It says, therefore, my beloved, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We don't work for our salvation, but we work out our salvation. In other words, because we are standing firmly in the result of the finished work of Jesus on the cross, we need to get to work. Grace is not opposed to earning. It is, is opposed to earning. It's not opposed to effort. But here's the thing. Is you cannot do this on your own strength. You cannot live out the cultural mandate. You cannot be an image bearer for Jesus by yourself. Because not only was there Genesis chapter 1. There's Genesis chapter 3 which is the fall. And through the fall we realized that everything was broken. Our work was frustrated. Relationships with other people were broken. This is the result of the fall. And so in order to live our lives in this tangled mess. We need God's help to do the work that he's called us to do. So, yes, we need to do the hard work, but we need to make every effort and do this through God's strength. It says, it is God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. So, as we work, we say to God, and I say this every day as I get up, God, I want to work for you. I want my work to be as worship for you. I want to do my best. I want to work hard. But I can't do it on my own. I need you to work in me and through me to accomplish your good purposes today. God, I'm depending on you. And then I step into my work and I work hard, trusting and believing that Jesus is working alongside of me as I do it. If you take the journey course, you'll hear me talk about three types of Christians. There are rowboat Christians. There are speedboat Christians. And there are sailboat Christians. Rowboat Christians think that the work depends all on them. They're just working at the oars, working at the oars. But eventually rowboat Christians burn themselves out. Speedboat Christians think it all depends on God. Just let go and let God, right? He's the engine that's powering my boat. I'm just going to let him do it. The thing is, if you just let go and let God in a speedboat, you're just going to be going in circles. And you'll find a lot of let, boat, let go and let God people aren't actually productive in their Christian walks. But a person on a sailboat understands that if you're going to work on a sailboat, there's work to be done. You've got to tie things up. You've got to swap the deck, right? You've got to raise the sails. There's a lot of work that needs to be done if you're going to be on a sailboat. But here's the thing. Once that sail is up, if there is no wind, that sailboat is going nowhere. 
The Holy Spirit is the wind in our sails that enables us and empowers us to do the work that we are trying to do. And so we find this, this synthesis, this cooperation in our relationship with God where we do our work, but ultimately it's God who works in us and through us to accomplish his good purpose. And so, cross point, friends, may we delight in our work. May we be diligent at our work. And may the work of our hands bring glory to God, knowing that he worked for our salvation and he is working in us and through us for our good, for our flourishing. May we leave slacker or slacktivism behind. Can we pray? Let's pray. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you today uh, for the cross. We thank you that we, through the cross, can come to our God freely, receive forgiveness and new life. Thank you for the resurrection, the resurrection power that enables us to live out this life here on earth through the power of your Holy Spirit. God, I pray for all of those questions. You would help us to answer them. You would show us the way. And God, as we do the work that you've called us to do, you would equip us for all of it. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.